This sermon is a recording taken from our live stream for Pentecost Sunday, which was on the 23rd of May, and happened in St. Mary's Dis. You are listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Path with your preacher Samuel S. Thorpe. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we have heard the dramatic account of Pentecost, the day on which the apostles were anointed by the Holy Spirit with tongues of fire on their heads, and a mysterious ability to be heard in the native languages of all who heard them speaking. It's an evocative scene which seems as if it could belong more appropriately to a Hollywood movie than as an actual historical event. We might find this an uncomfortable scene. What is the Holy Spirit doing? And perhaps, more importantly, are we here in this at risk of something so dramatic occurring to us today? Well, it seems to me that all too often, people make the mistake of associating the Holy Spirit with guitars and worship bands, with clapping and dancing and raised hands. We often call such churches charismatic. And if we're here in this instead of churches, say, Hope Church or HTB or any of the various others, we might perhaps be here because we're not as into guitars and drums but rather we celebrate our choral tradition and the beauty of human voices which somehow combine to give us a glimpse of the divine here in this sacred space. Indeed, we should celebrate our choir, appreciating and valuing the dimension they bring to our worship here each Sunday. More than this, we should think seriously about how we want to support them, as we move forwards and we seek a replacement for our choir master and organist. But at the same time, we should resist the temptation to say that either choral-led worship is somehow less filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit than band-led worship, or that we prefer this kind of worship because it makes us feel more comfortable than we might feel if we go somewhere else. The truth of the matter is that neither a choir nor a band can summon or control the Holy Spirit. Each can stir our own human spirits and emotions in such a way as to help us worship and glorify God. And while one or the other might rhyme more with our personal preferences, neither of them are automatically more holy. The apostles were all in one place when suddenly, suddenly, from heaven there came a word, a sound, like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The word suddenly here captures the essence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is supremely free to appear as, and when, and how he wishes. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a surprising gift which comes to us from heaven. For God moves first 
just as he did when he created the heavens and the earth, just as he did when he was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, just as he appeared in wind and flame at Pentecost, and just as he does in the darkness and shames of our own lives. At Pentecost we encounter the overflow of the love of God, expressed through creation, incarnation and resurrection, as he draws us into the story of who he is. The God who created the world and the people he made in his image who live in it, so loved the world that he sent his only Son, so that all who believe in him might not perish, but may have eternal life. By his blood on the cross, Jesus redeemed us, making atonement for our sins by sacrificing his life and succumbing to the death which we all must die. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Father for his Son raised Jesus from the grave to live and reign forevermore. Last week we celebrated the ascension of Christ, that moment when the God who had stepped into humanity steps out of history into the eternal present. The gospel reality is no longer confined to the pages of our Bibles, but is and remains the prevailing reality of God and his love for you and I. It is this reality which the Holy Spirit inaugurates at Pentecost by anointing the apostles as the foundations of the church. In Peter's first sermon, to people of different races from many countries, is an exhortation not to dismiss the work of God as drunkenness, but as heralding the Lord's great and glorious day. And he concludes that first sermon, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the message which Paul shares in our reading from Romans. We wait for the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs which are too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's you and I, according to the will of God. Again we see that God moves first, and that we have hope in God because the Spirit of God himself helps us to pray. And again Jesus, in our reading from the Gospel of John, says when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit declares to us the victory that Jesus has won over death, the forgiveness of sins wrought by his atoning sacrifice, and the hope of eternal life based on the living reality of the one who lives beyond the grave who reigns at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and who sends his Holy Spirit to be with us, his church, his body here on earth, until he comes again. 
This is what the Spirit of Truth has declared to us, and we have to decide how we shall respond. The question of how we shall respond to the outpouring of God's love is a question which each generation has to wrestle with for itself, and each generation of the Church before us has bequeathed to us its wisdom, its art, its saints, and its theology. One brief example of this comes from the 1640s with the Westminster Confession. It takes the form of a series of questions and answers moving through a range of key doctrines. But one of my favourites is this one. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The human experience is rich and filled with meaning, but the chief end, the greatest priority necessary to truly and fully be human, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If we hold this principle in our heart and if we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus so that we might be saved, then we will be able to say with confidence that the presence of the Holy Spirit who testifies to what God has done and is doing for us, is among us. Holiness of worship arises when human faith mingles with the Holy Spirit to glorify God. This is true whether we celebrate having a choir or whether somewhere else celebrates having a band. Music may be powerful, it may be beautiful, But worship is always more than art. It is our small contribution to glorifying God Almighty, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just as at Pentecost, he remains always free to surprise us in unexpected and sometimes uncomfortable ways. So let each of us this morning decide afresh that we shall call upon the name of the Lord so that we might be saved. And being confident of our salvation, let us prepare to receive the Eucharist so that in tasting the bread, we might taste in the body of Christ the hope of eternal life. By so doing, may we glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Amen. Amen.